Hi, I'm Lee Moreau, founder and director of Other Tomorrows, a design studio based in Boston, and I'm also the professor of practice and design at Northeastern University's College of Arts, Media, and Design. Last season on the Features Archive, for every episode, I was joined by a different co-host to learn about the design and cultural history about an object, which unlocked a larger conversation about human-centered design and the future. In this season, you'll be hearing from me as well as four other co-hosts, where each episode will take an object with power, look for the human at the center, and keep asking questions. Hi, I'm Liz Danzico. I am a part-time designer, a part-time educator, and a full-time dog owner. Liz was the co-host to last season's finale, an episode that was all about the pet, and I'm so excited that she's joining us again this season. Yeah, I'm excited to be back. Currently, I'm the founding chair of the MFA Interaction Design Program at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. Previously, I was the senior vice president of digital and the vice president of design at National Public Radio, NPR, where I was responsible for leading human-centered design across NPR's products and services and platforms. I've done a good deal of work setting up new labs um, where we can um, bring experiments to the public, doing uh, things that are unconventional and um, complex. And um, previously, before those roles, I was an independent consultant working with clients primarily in the media space. So um, newspapers, which are now more digital, um, publishing houses. Um, so I've been in you know, whether it's public radio, journalism, or media and publishing for many, many years and really enjoy that space. Alongside, um, I am um, still guest lecturing, participating in thesis, um, helping out education across the board, and tend to be an advisor to all kinds of projects that would support any of these efforts to embold, embody, um, and um, support particularly marginalized communities or communities that otherwise wouldn't have a voice in any of these spaces. You'll be hearing from Liz when we have objects like the dongle, the car radio, and the microphone. These are all objects that are at the intersection of communication and human-centered design. I'm uh, excited about um, imbuing these objects with, with power and the theme that we'll be discussing. Um, my background, whether it's been about human-centered design um, in sort of product and service, in digital design, or in education, or in my sort of third track of my career, kind of writing or editing, it's always been focused on thinking and designing around audience communities. And one of the ways of thinking about keeping relevant to, to communities and keeping relevant to audiences is, is thinking about being where the audience is. So always thinking about how do we make sure that we are where the audience is? And so how do you align the object or the product or the service that you're thinking about to be where the audience is? And so um, the, uh, the opportunity to think about communication particularly when it comes to an object, is so interesting. And so um, I'm just excited to, to dive in and, and get started. Another one of our co-hosts, new this season, is Rachel Lair. 
Hi, my name is Rachel Lair. I'm a designer who for the past decade or so have been focused on projects that center around our bodies. So Rachel and I work together at Continuum, a design and innovation consultancy based in Boston. And she brings such a unique perspective and an interesting background to the space of design research and for understanding people. I started um, straight out of design grad school, uh, the transdisciplinary design program. I started working at Continuum. Uh, it was really my dream job at that point. I had managed to tell a story about how my experience as a postmodern dancer, professional dancer, was relevant to a design and innovation consultancy. And part of the reason I picked like design and innovation work was because there was such an expansive understanding of like what could potentially be a valuable input into that work and approach and process. I was still performing professionally when I was starting and I had moved my desk chair from my desk and was like sitting on the floor because I felt so uncomfortable with this new role as like someone who was largely behind a desk. And so I was like the weirdo who was just popping a squat on the floor with my laptop. I've spent the past six years creating impactful programs that reduce violence against women. And these are programs that have been tested and built um, and co-created with folks in Liberia, Uganda, and now Peru. And these are projects that have specifically looked at how to really bring men into the conversation and have them willingly and voluntarily change their behavior to improve the lives of women. So the core pieces of my work have been essentially changing men's behavior to improve the lives of women. Uh, and that's been very much focused on what happens in their most intimate relationships. For objects like the disco ball, the air conditioner, or even the vibrator, we're going to find the relationships between design and pleasure through our conversations with one another throughout the season. I spend so much of my time doing and enabling amazing design work with folks who are really outside of our space. And um, it is just, a total thrill to me to be able to like geek out on design and pleasure, uh, which are two of my absolute favorite things. And I really find that like, you know, one is enabling of the other. So in, in my career, I've been a dancer. I was a postmodern dancer and I spent the majority of my time moving around barefoot and like threadbare clothes with other dancers in a studio making work. Right. And being able to communicate with my body, understand my body, control it, like work with other people through my body. And now it is very much the center of my work when I think about the design work that I have done, which is very much about thinking how our body holds both power and pleasure and how our sort of social environments. Right. And and social norms and cultural constructs can either create freedom or sort of repression around that. So it's really, you know, it, the, I think my story is very much about sort of how pleasure is both experienced and, and repressed in our bodies and controlled either by ourselves or other people. And so I'm just thrilled to be able to talk about that in a way that, you know, is not just about 
um, how you can give people more freedom in their bodies, but really talking about like the end of the spectrum, which is at our bodies most free, what is the best thing we can experience? And that is pleasure. Hi, I'm Sloan Leo, and I'm a community designer, theorist, and practitioner. I also work in design education at the School of Visual Arts. Another host I'm very excited to be working with this season is Sloan Leo, who I actually didn't know before starting planning for this season. And it's one of the most wonderful things that's happened is being able to meet all these new practitioners and, and thinkers in design through this process. Eight years ago, I fell in love with human-centered design. I was working for the Environmental Defense Fund as a director of board relations, which meant my job was to essentially be designing with 700 other employees, like these massive nonprofit board meetings, four to eight times a year. And I remember sitting there in my office saying, like, this isn't working. These systems that we're using to collaborate, they're not well designed. And so I got really interested in taking classes online and found IDEO University. Um, and I think that's where I first said, oh, design is a field that I can leverage for solution in the social sector. And after 15 years of working as a fundraiser, a policy analyst, a strategist in nonprofits, I was like, wait a minute, there's a field here called community design, which really refers to a set of practices and tools and orientations that allow people to do work together to solve complex and systemic issues. So I really took a bit of a pivot from being a nonprofit fundraiser to then launching my own design consultancy in 2019 called Flock Studio. And so now I get to blend nonprofit management and like management theory, community-based work and design all together to help make the world a little bit better organized and a lot more humane. In particular, I'm excited by Sloan Leo's background in that he's working as a community designer. So he's thinking about issues of co-design and collaboration and specifically will bring that thinking to bear on objects that are related to convenience. So we'll be looking at objects like the bug zapper, the blender, and even the automatic door. Part of my design practice is really about restating who convenience is for and also about relocating power and decision-making from the one to the many. You know, community work requires us to be vulnerable and to hold space for things that get in our way, like shame, like fear. I like to think that I'm taking design, capital D design, and finding new ways of understanding it um, as a tool for organizational development and community building. And I think that I come to the design world with a lot of critique and a lot of love and a lot of hope um, about what's possible after human-centered design. So finding ways to democratize design for people who are solving social challenges probably puts me in a good position to critique what is currently our base model. I think that we are at a moment of intersectional crises and intersectional opportunities for dreaming. When lockdown was kind of beginning to recede a bit in, what, May 2020, I got really obsessed with the idea of urgency and how power and responsibility like, are responding to someone or some, some community's urgency. And so in as much as this season can talk about whose urgency are we prioritizing um, with the interventions that design offers, 
that's where the power lives. If you say, I'm a person in power, this challenge is most important. Like what more power is there? You framed the entire thing. You've set up the entire question, the full inquiry. And I'm really excited to see if this season we can talk about how else others can hold onto that power and how we can share power um, if you believe that's possible. New to the Futures Archive, but not to collaborating with Design Observer, is one of my new co-hosts, Sarah Hendren. Hi, my name is Sarah Hendren, and I am an associate professor uh, of design at Olin College of Engineering, which is outside Boston in Needham, Massachusetts. It's a tiny little lab school for engineering education. All our students study engineering there, so it's a really interesting place to work. And we think about engineering deeply tied up in the context of people's lives. So I teach their human-centered design, broadly conceived, and design and disability was often thought of as assistive technologies and prosthetics. I am also the kind of maker and collaborative social designer of a number of projects, and I'm the author of uh, a book that came out in 2020 from Riverhead called What Can a Body Do? How We Meet the Built World, and it's about all the places where disability shows up in design in our world. So Sarah brings an incredibly unique perspective in that she's an artist, but she teaches within an engineering program. So I often say that I'm a humanist in tech, meaning my training is in visual arts, history, cultural studies, and I work deep in the laboratory. So I'm someone who's trying to bring all the why questions in the humanities. What is a good life? How do we know? What is the common good? How do we build it? Why are we here? All those deep, enduring questions to the very pragmatic, you know, maker space, engineering-y, how-to, tinkering laboratory. That's that's a place where people are looking for, uh, how do we do this thing? What next? What are its specifications? And how do we know? And I love that energy. But I'm, it's a, a kind of muse for me, a humanist showing up to the room to say, but why? What is this for? What does it mean? How does it operate in the world? I'm trained in um, in the humanities, in fine arts and in history, and then in design, most recently um, in kind of public design, design in the public domain. So where does design show up in a civic and political way in our lives? Um, but maybe it's surprising that I also topically ended up in disability studies. I'm a family member of a lot of people uh, with disabilities, but also the mother of a 16-year-old uh, named Graham who has Down syndrome. You know, his, his, his early life just filled up with prosthetics and assistive technologies to help him walk, to help him sit, to help him um, speak. And that caught my imagination in a couple of ways. One is just uh, how interesting the material culture of the world does do low tech, high tech tools, kitchen gadgets, office supplies, all kinds of things that bridge the gap between the body and the world. But also it opened my eyes to in disability studies, what's called a social model of disability. That's not just a medical model of disability. So a lot of us think, you know, what does disability mean? Well, it means something on your body doesn't work correctly, something you're missing a sensory capacity or something. But a, a social model of disability says, Actually, the disability is somewhere between what your body can or can't do and actually the, the rigid, maybe inflexible structures of the world. And that's a design question in part. It's partly a civic and political question, but it's partly a design question. Together, Sarah and I will examine the impact of human-centered design in the healthcare field. And we'll be looking at objects like the defibrillator, the refrigerator, and the insulin pump. We enter the world dependent on other people. We often exit the world dependent on other people 
giving and receiving assistance, tools, technologies, design, human care, networks of caregiving, that's a part of our experience and we want to design for it. Disability can collect you if you let it. It's actually a human part of our existence. It's part of what makes life worth living, giving and receiving help. And also design is for you and it's everywhere. And if you start to see design with disability at its you know, sparkling core, you might get a better imagination for what, what all your stuff can do. And what we call assistive technologies is kind of a misnomer and a redundancy. All of our stuff is giving us help. So that's where, you know, I'm just trying to counter the excessive problem solving nature of design, just the kind of default of rushing in with the right tool and the tidiness of that story and trying instead to locate design in and among wildly rambunctious, rowdy, creative, messy human ecosystems where disability is also at the creative center of stuff we make. New episodes come out every other Thursday starting March 17th. Find us at tfa.designobserver.com or wherever you get your podcasts.